This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It is Sandy and Sean. Sandy Clough's on my left. I'm Sean Trotar. Danny Bailey's in the booth. Thanks for tuning in. The Denver Broncos will close out their season against the Raiders in a game that I think a lot of fans looked at and thought that maybe that would be a, a Broncos-Raiders classic with a lot on the line. It's not going to be the case. There is nothing on the line. But the discussion, of course, revolves around, here we are again, the quarterback, Sandy. Jared Stidham will start in his second start of the year as he gets a leg up on the inevitable quarterback competition that will be ensuing. But they are still dealing with the Broncos as a team, as a franchise, as a locker room, as a roster, with their starting quarterback, a guy that came to town considered a, if not a surefire Hall of Famer, a borderline Hall of Famer, and his time in Denver has basically been, despite the fact he was notably better this year, an unmitigated disaster that actually uh, turned him from a borderline Hall of Famer into a guy that may have a tough time getting in unless wherever he lands next ends up going pretty well. But the way it all shook out in the way that Russell Wilson was treated and the Broncos' silence ever since Wilson explained it is notable because we know that the NFLPA was already involved. We saw the letter. But that treatment of Russell Wilson by the Broncos, and that includes everybody, that's ownership, that's GM George Payton, that's Coach Sean Payton, who privy to discussions or not knew exactly what was going on. And how does that impact a team going forward, especially, I think, coming into the last game of the year where so many guys know that they're playing for jobs, the NFL roster turnover year in and year out is about 40%. And they know who they're playing for in this case. And they know who they'll be uh, playing for last year. year uh, they didn't know. Right. Uh, this year, they do know. Uh, the year before, they didn't know. Uh, players are smarter than they let on about the political infighting and the realities of pro football. Uh, publicly, they're always supportive of the coach they have rather than the future coach they don't have. And and don't know about, but they, they knew in 2021 that there would be a new head coach in 2022. And obviously the new coach didn't last even a year. They knew in 2023, there would be a new coach, uh, not the man who led them for the most part in 2022. And I use the word, uh, led, uh, advisedly uh, here. Uh, if that's leadership, but you know what? They got a supposed leader and I'm not sure he's exercised ideal leadership. And because he hasn't, I think it calls into question the leadership capabilities of uh, Greg Penner and this ownership group. I think it calls into question the leadership abilities of George Payton, who I think will soon be the ex general manager of the Denver Broncos because Right now, he'd have more authority almost anywhere else as an assistant general manager than he has as the general manager of the Denver And, and you, Sandy, talked about this all the way back in April prior to the draft when the Broncos were trying, and, and Sean Payton again at that point in time also offered, a, oh, I'm not involved in that. That's a GM decision sort of thing. But at the same time, 
when they were trying to trade Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, and they weren't getting the takers for the rounds they wanted, unsurprisingly, uh, Sean Payton said at the time that uh, George Payton's job, and I'm paraphrasing just a bit because I don't have the quote in front of me, was to pick up the phone and tell them we're not trading those guys. At that point. Unless you're offering a first round pick for Judy. But that's not what Payton said. Payton just said, uh, Sean Payton said, George Payton should just say we're not trading them. Right. That's right then when you had basically said, well, George Payton's out at the end of the year. Well, yeah. All the way back in April. Why stay, first of all? And second of all, you know, he 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 became, uh, next to Wilson, perhaps, Sean Payton's favorite punching bag during the course of the year. Yeah. I mean, remember when he made his statements to Jarrett Bell of USA Today, among those statements was that everybody had, quote-unquote, dirty hands last year when it came right. to the handling of right. Russell Wilson. And that very much included George Payton. That included ownership, although they weren't specifically identified. He talked about however many pairs of hands mm-hmm. were dirty, right. right? Not just Nathaniel Hackett, whom he blasted sufficiently, but he also fingered virtually everybody else, other players, uh, <laughs> within the organization, uh, many of whom he would be coaching in 2023. And, you know, his most recent statement, you talk about playing for jobs, when he was asked, well, why identify Wilson and make it seem as if your failure this year is tied only to Russell Wilson's quote-unquote failure. Right. Which is hard to explain for a guy who had 26 touchdown passes and eight picks. I know, and I did the research last week in my considerable spare time. For every positive Wilson statistic, you could find a negative one. Every metric that showed him to be performing much, much better than he did last year. There were others that showed, yeah, he's better, but much, much better. Maybe not. But, But the point being that when Peyton was asked that question, he basically answered by saying, well, I can't replace an entire offensive line. Right. I can't replace an entire receiving room. I can't replace the tight ends. Um, I can't replace the running backs. There's only one quarterback. So am I going to change? Then the quarterback's going to be the position that gets changed because I can't wipe out all those other position groups. Right. That's the idea, at least. And And so, uh, yes, there's truth in that, but it's also – a bit of a dodge, but most definitely a condemnation, right? Of those other positions. Right, that's the thing. I wouldn't on the feel offensive side all of the ball. Confident if I where, and I've asked this question, and you have to for many, many months now. Give me a strength on the offensive side of the ball for the Denver Broncos. Pick a position, any position. Where is the strength? And as Nick Cosmider pointed out in the Athletic today, we have also talked about this in recent weeks. But he made the point very directly and succinctly. There is no other team in the National Football League that in the 2020s has had neither a 1,000-yard rusher nor a 1,000-yard receiver. That's remarkable. That's remarkable when most teams have had more than one of both. I mean, either. They don't have any 1,000-yard rusher since Philip Lindsay in 2019. And no 1,000-yard receiver since Cortland Sutton 
in the same year, 2019. Cortland Sutton's had a nice bounce-back year, obviously, 770 yards, 10 touchdowns. But uh, Jerry Judy, uh, back to it feels like uh, many of the, the issues that have been concerning in his entire career, 679 yards, but one touchdown. One. And uh, leading the, the team in rushing, of course, is Javante Williams, 742 yards. Respectable given the first year after all the knee injuries, but two touchdowns. And not even averaging four per carry. He hasn't even averaged three per carry in the last two. He doesn't look right. And and keep in mind, with the extra game, 1,000 yards doesn't mean what it used to mean. Javante Williams is at 742 yards. But you think about that, per game, that's less than 50. Yeah. A game. Right. Cortland Sutton is at 770. Astonished. It's only 51. Right. Right. So, I mean, you're talking about. Now, he didn't play the other day. Correct. I, uh, we get that. Correct. And he probably won't play Sunday. I'm, I'm guessing he won't pass through protocol uh, in time to play on Sunday. So, I, it, you know, he was again, barring a record-setting rushing or receiving performance, yeah. the Broncos will, in 2023, have neither, once again, a 1,000-yard rusher nor a 1,000-yard wide receiver. Cortland Sutton, receiver Baron Browning were at practice today, but wore non-contact jerseys, right. by the way. Uh, Marvin Mims as well, a limited. They're not going to change. This This is a meaningless why, game. Why They're would you risk, risk any players you think might even be part of your future? Of, of any significance. You know, Mike McGlinch, he's had the rib injury. Why would you play him? doesn't make no. any sense. Um, no. It doesn't make any sense at all. And for the Broncos, those kind of numbers are just shocking. And keep in mind... You can say what you will about Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson has 3,000 yards and 26 touchdowns. And he also has a QBR of over 50, which makes him the first quarterback since Peyton Manning in 2014 to have both 3,000 yards passing. These are pretty modest numbers, mind you. But believe it or not, no Bronco quarterback since Manning in 2014, not even Peyton Manning in 2015, had 3,000 yards and a quarterback rating of over 50.0. He's or also 50.0 or above 50.0. That is because he's the team's leader in, in rushing touchdowns. Right. Right. Which helps his QBR and a QBR can vary, uh, you know, it, 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 because it's dependent on other teams and the level they play at. And that changes from week to week. Well, Russell Wilson so isn't Josh Allen rating. or Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts. And under no, no, no situation would anybody have gone and looked at the Broncos this year and said, Russell Wilson will lead the team in rushing touchdowns. And that's a good thing. No, no, no. But here's the, if you told people, and I don't think folks are aware of this, and it's just one of those if it weren't my own calculations, I call it junk stat. But it's <laughs> telling because three thousand yards in today's NFL it's only two hundred and four yards per year. Given unless unless you're hurt for half the year, yeah. If you're a starting quarterback, you're probably going to get to three thousand yards. Two hundred four. If you 7. play fifteen or more games, he's played fifteen games, right? And he's probably going to get three thousand. Okay, he he's got the three thousand yards. Four thousand. No Bronco quarterbacks even even anywhere close to that over the past nine years. And keep in mind, <laughs> think about this, folks. 4,000 yards with a 17-game schedule yeah. is 235 a game. It's By today's standards, 235 is not an elite passing no, performance. No, it's not. And Russell Wilson, I believe, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you've got the numbers there in front of you, had one 300-yard passing game this year. 
So it, it, it's not like he had a great year, but that's the standard uh, beneath which Bronco quarterbacks have consistently fallen. 3,000 yards and a 50.0 he had, he had two 300-yard games, both in losses. In, and against Washington, 308, Miami, 306. But both of those games, then the Broncos lost and were trailing. Even, but, but the one quarterback who's done it out of, what's it been now, 13? Yeah, Started, including 13. Stidham. Including right. Stidham now. 13 I think it's 13 starters. since Manning mm-hmm. retired. It, he's the only one to get to 3,000 yards and a 50.0 or better quarterback rating. And they benched him before the season ended. (laughs) And some would say, yeah, because they were averaging under 22 points a game. The, the, The idea that we've been talking about going back to August of 2016, when the Broncos are coming off a championship season, but had a terrible offense by any reasonable measure in 2015, terrible offense. Not even a top 20 uh, offense. That, uh, a, a, an outlier statistically, and we've gone over this before on this show and other spots, but, I mean, if you look at the Denver Broncos when they won Super Bowl 50, the ranking of their offense and the ranking of their defense was such an outlier for Super Bowl winners over the last 30 years. Pretty shocking. And you think of the yeah. teams that had those uh, pedestrian offenses and great defenses. I guess you think of the Ravens uh, with Joe Flacco at, at the helm. But... Even that team had. Wow, you think of the Ravens? I'm part of you. Trent Dilfer at the helm, and even that offense actually ranked higher than the Broncos. Oh, sure. The the Broncos and the defense helped by setting them up for. But that no fly zone defense of the Broncos that that Wade Phillips commandeered and and ran is one of the great all time playoff defenses, and we're talking like we're talking like doomsday defense, steel curtain in. The postseason. In the postseason, sure. Denver, we're talking the about that kind of defense. Sure. Because the Bears, of the quality of quarterbacks. Bears at 85. I mean, it's that level, and yeah, only a handful the, of teams have ever Bears won a Super Bowl that way. 85, no, nothing against them. That that was an historically good defense. Maybe the best Payton single defense of all time. But, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, not that they were overrated on defense, but they were extremely underrated on offense. Uh, McMahon spent his final basically full year as a healthy quarterback in the NFL in 1985. He was never healthy again for a full season after that, pretty much. Right. Until he became a backup, and then, you know, he wasn't going to get hurt because he wasn't playing that much. But the Bears in the playoffs are facing people like Dieter Brock. Right. uh, You know, for a championship. Yep. And then Tony Eason in the Super Bowl. Now, again, I – they face who they face, right? And they were dominant against great quarterbacks that year too, including Joe Montana, who they basically tore apart almost limb from yeah. limb when they played the 49ers that year and completely smothered the 49ers. It was a great defensive team, but I'm talking about playoff defenses all time, and there are very few that had to face a murderous row of quarterbacks, the likes of Roethlisberger, yeah. Brady and then league MVP and Cam league Newton. MVP Cam Newton, mm-hmm. league MVP in 2015, right? And a team that lost one game <laughs> and one with offense more than defense, right? And they completely suffocated Von, Carolina. Von Miller Super Bowl ruined fit. Cam Newton's yeah. career, but you see what happened. I mean, it's just that this just that straightforward. And, and, and we we will discuss this uh, at more length with Dr. Rick Perea on our Wellness Wednesday mm-hmm. 
uh, podcast, which uh, we will be airing here in about an hour, 15 minutes. But can you imagine all the years, starting in 2016, they can't possibly be any worse on offense than they were the previous year. They've got to, at some point, get to, how about 24 points per game? Right, which mm-hmm. at one point in the not too distant past was the average of the teams throughout the league right. on a points per game basis. It, it isn't this year; it's below that because quarterbacking play has not been great. Defense has made a somewhat of a comeback. Look at the Ravens, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, even the Forty Niners oh, are the, the top teams five that are good have top defenses. Right. But, yeah, you go back to that 2016 season, and, yeah, the leading rusher was Devontae Booker. But, as you pointed out, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders were 1,000-yard receivers, and the primary quarterback was Trevor Simeon. And they still managed to have a pair of 1,000-yard receivers. This team isn't even going to have one or a 1,000-yard running back That was the year in which uh, a high-ranking Bronco official told me on opening night, this opening night, the Broncos are on their way to a win over Carolina. It's halftime. I'm having this conversation. And this high-ranking Bronco official tells me, and by the way, the Broncos went on to a 4-0 start that year and were 7-3 and at one point. Right. Having Sanders and Thomas here is like having two astronauts without a space program. And... Now they don't even have the astronauts. No. Forget about the space program. That's long gone. But they don't even have the astronauts anymore. It is going to be an interesting offseason for the Broncos that comes uh, sooner rather than you might think Monday, as a matter of fact. But as the Broncos look into next year, and they are already, Russell Wilson's situation is fascinating. Michael Wilbon of ESPN had an interesting quote about it, and you'll get a chance to hear it. We also want to talk about what it means. Not for Wilson but for players who may consider coming to the Denver Broncos. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy, let's take a different angle on the Russell Wilson situation because what we know about Wilson is he gone. I mean, this is it, right? I mean, he's not coming back. Yes, that's that, that much we right. know for sure. So, and I think he knows. Yeah, that. Wilson is going to get the money he gets, and uh, and he'll move on, and, and we'll see how that goes. But that means that the Broncos are going to have to find themselves uh, not just a quarterback, but a lot of different players. And now that it appears obvious, and, you know, I get it, but I think we both think that there might be lawyers involved at the end of the day with this, with the players' union and teams and who knows what? But it seems obvious, and nobody in the Broncos seems to dispute the basic notion, and they've had some time to do so now, a week, to suggest that they did not ask Russell Wilson to alter his injury uh, clause in his contract, or they would bench him. There hasn't been a ref- any refutation of that. So, since there's not, I think it's reasonable to assume that Wilson's story is at least as close to the truth that the Broncos themselves don't want to worry about battling it. 
So if Wilson was basically told that your contract situation, we will bench you, not your play, not football reasons, right? Which was football reasons. Jerry said it was playing because of football reasons. Well, it wasn't football reasons after he had beaten the Chiefs. Well, what happens here when that's the perception for your team? Michael Wilbon of ESPN had a chance to talk about the Wilson situation and what it might mean. What's the word for how Russell Wilson should feel about Sean Payton right now? Lied to. And that's what he did. Sean Payton sat by a microphone in front of a microphone. If he didn't lie to Russell Wilson, he lied to the rest of us. And he said it wasn't about the money. Of course it's about the money. Every network who has a football reporter in the time since that lie has detailed the money. And what's going to happen to the Broncos? I don't care if he was going to take one for the team, for his owner. That's on him. But to me, as I'm sitting there going, oh, Coach Payton says he's benching him for football reasons, even though he's got 24 touchdown passes and I think eight picks. Football reasons? And Sean Payton is a couple of things, Tony. He's a terrific coach. He may even be a tremendous coach. He's got a Super Bowl ring he wears that says, great coach. He also has lied. And it ain't the first time. Sean Payton thinks that he can say whatever he wants and gets away with it and no one can call him on it because usually people don't call NFL coaches on anything. They just let him get away with it. He lied. Russell Wilson should feel lied to. Michael Wilbon and, of course, Tony Kornheiser, pardon the interruption, he shorted Russell Wilson by two touchdowns. It's 26. Yeah, he says 26. As opposed to the, to the uh, 24. It is 26 for Wilson. And uh, there's uh, nothing but truth in that. And, uh, yeah, Wilson was lied to uh fans were lied to uh other wilson's teammates were lied to the the idea that okay we have russell wilson who has the reputation we're gonna get this all worked out and set him up for something good no not not actually what the broncos intended to do and i think for fans this is important to understand for a couple of reasons now you need to go back through the season especially with the chiefs win starting a run in which the broncos went from being totally non-competitive three percent chance of making the playoffs at one and five. At one and five. To then working their way back, thanks to some tremendous uh, defensive play, some fortunate scheduling against some inferior teams with hurt quarterbacks. Nevertheless, go back and look, and we did talk about this at the time, the play calling that Sean Payton had. Is that Sean Payton's maximum creativity? I don't think it is. Because he wasn't really calling for that because I think Payton understood the better that Russell Wilson plays, the harder it's going to be to actually make well, the case we should get him out or bench him for, quote, football reasons. I, I think Peyton is committed to, as Paul Brown used to say, his football. Yes. Right? Without That's the way doubt. Paul Brown used to talk. My football. My football. Um, you know, it, it sounds childish, but back in those days when Paul Brown had – Basically, a franchise named after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, then his brand of football was the gold standard, and he was the voice of the Cleveland Browns. He called every play. Remember the messenger guards mm-hmm. he used to send in, one of whom was Chuck Knoll, who went on to become an all time great coach, coach of his own right. himself. Uh, Don Shula was a Paul Brown disciple. Bill Belichick worships. To this day, at the altar of Paul Brown, not Vince Lombardi, Paul Brown, Paul Brown. And so Sean Payton fancies himself as a latter-day Bill Parcells, but 
really he views himself as having the kind of authority that, to be honest about it, Parcells never really had until he was an executive himself with Miami for a brief period mm-hmm. of time. Ten, well, more than 10 years ago, more like 15 years ago. It, that he fancies himself as the head of state. Uh, the ruler of all he surveys. Right. You know? Uh, and Russell Wilson doesn't represent as a quarterback Sean Payton style of football. Sean Payton football cannot accommodate Russell Wilson's particular set of skills, yep. which have narrowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, by Certainly. everyone's estimation, Certainly. over the last three, three and a half years. Yep. Going back to midseason 2020. Everyone acknowledges that. But I think his rigidity, more than a kind of conspiratorial, uh, you know, I'm going to undermine this guy, uh, it, it, it's just, it's equally immature to say he doesn't play my brand of football. He doesn't dance to my tune, so I got to get rid of him. Right, and we both say, based on common sense observation, people we talk to, and yes, we have people over there who will talk to us, uh, either directly or indirectly, know exactly what's going on from day to day. And you heard our friend Aaron Anderson yesterday say. He is despised by the staff. Seth Wickersham wrote about that uh, for ESPN.com back in August. And Peyton's almost kind of proud of that, that he is despised. Better to be feared, as Seth Wickersham wrote about the Patriots, right? Better to be feared. That's the old Bill Belichick uh, philosophy. Uh, Even Bill Parcells. Better to be feared and operate uh, out of fear. And Lombardi was a little like that, not completely like that. But a little bit like that. Shula was a little bit like that. So it's not unheard of in the history of of coaching for coaches to run off quarterbacks, even some good ones, that they don't particularly care for. I, I talk about Shula and Marino uh, over the years. I talk about uh, who had major differences uh, because Shula wanted that control and Marino wanted that mm-hmm. control. And when Shula and Marino came together, it was right at the time when coaches were starting to go back to the Paul Brown model where the coaches wanted to call plays or a coordinator would call plays. And the quarterback was taken out of that. That was Bradshaw and Chuck Knoll. <laughs> you know, and, and again, kind of in that same period, uh, Greasy and Shula got along famously, although Greasy wasn't nearly as good a quarterback as Unitas had been for Shula or that Marino would become for Shula, because Greasy was okay. Mm-hmm. They, they ran the ball all the time anyway. It was Zonka and Morrison kick. They ran the ball anyway. So Greasy wasn't going to challenge Don Shula on, on play calling, um, regardless of who's calling plays. And I think that Peyton not only wants to call the plays, he – he doesn't want any variation Correct. from what he calls. I mean, no variation, no improvisation. No improv, no off and script. even this Mm-mm. year, when he allowed as to how Wilson's ability to 
improvise could be helpful at times, you got the feeling he was saying it through gritted teeth. That's why when you're looking at, at other quarterbacks, by the way, and we'll get into that as time goes on, you think about, and they, these guys will go before the Broncos pick anyway, but you look at like right. a Jaden Daniels, forget it. Not really forget Peyton's it. type. Not, no. a, not a Sean Payton type. The guys that, are, that you look at, quite frankly, you want to look at quarterbacks around the league, okay, Brock Purdy, Sean Payton type. Lamar Jackson, no. Josh oh. Allen, no. Patrick Mahomes, no. Uh, sorry, but you go look around and pick out the best quarterbacks in the league. They're not Sean Payton types, except for Purdy, I suppose. Yeah. He, he would he would like the Kirk Cousins type, I I suppose, those kind of guys. But these, these two-way mobile guys who create and then make something out of broken plays, that's not Sean Payton's thing. He hates that. He hates it. Even when it's successful, because it drives him control. nuts. Because yeah. he can't control it. But the idea that the Wilson was lied to has a bigger impact. And I, I guess, I, you know, fans look at it and say, well, okay, whatever, that's their thing. How's that going to count for W's and L's? Well, let me explain how it matters. Now, the argument that I get from people is, whatever, the Broncos have a ton of money, they're going to offer the money, and players will take it. True. Some will. There will always Some be will. players that take it. But I want you to think about this. If you're an elite free agent that's in demand with, let's say, a dozen teams in the league, and you have options with a dozen teams in the league, you want a combination of things. One, your money, but two, a chance at winning, and three, somewhere where I know I'm going to get the respect that I think I'm due. And if that's the case, the Broncos, one, aren't winning. I guess they could get a 9-8 and eight this, year, this week and say they're a winning team. But if you're an elite free agent, why would you choose the Denver Broncos over a team that has more recent well, and I, consistent success in which you don't feel the head coach will lie yeah. to your face because yeah. they did to Russell Wilson? So will you be able to get, get free agents? No, word gets yes. around. Yes. Word, word gets but around. But will you get the top ones that you're competing with yeah. everyone else? You can, but you have to dramatically overpay, and then that causes they, problems their of its own. judgment on free agents is questionable anyway. Uh, I mean, Sean Payton's big moves, and yes, Sean Payton's moves, dictated by Sean Payton, were to bring in Ben Powers and Mike McGlinchey and give him a huge boatload of money. Huge. Okay? Both failed. Powers is bad. There's no other way to say it. Powers I think McGlinchey has been slightly better guard. than average, and Powers McGlinchey has been McGlinchey has been average and probably the first half of the season below average because he was leading the league or close to leading the league in false start penalties. He's cut those out mm -hmm. in the second half of the season. By and large, he's cut them out. Um, he's also gotten schooled uh, a few times. The best game that a Bronco offensive lineman played this year, I'm not saying he's the best offensive lineman. I'm saying the best game played by a Bronco offensive lineman this year was played by Garrett Bowles against Cleveland yep. and Miles Garrett, who was injured at the time. Playing injured, not hurt, playing injured. And Miles Garrett maybe hasn't been quite as good as he was mm -hmm. since, as he was earlier in the year, but he's been pretty damn good. Witness the Cleveland Browns being ranked as one of the top 10 teams in the NFL, if not one of the top five yeah. teams in the NFL with Joe Flacco, a quarterback. That's where they rank at the present time. And Miles Garrett is the biggest reason for that because he's played through injury. And even while playing hurt or playing injured, uh, he's been very good. Listen, free agents will come here if all they care about is money. Right. But there are, in my view, somewhere between 15 and 20 teams that can say, we can pay you the same way the Broncos can pay you, and we're a hell of a lot better team further along in 
our stage of development and our contending position much further along than the Broncos are. So we can match their money, and we made the playoffs in the last eight years a few times, including maybe once or twice in the last three years. And they haven't made anything resembling a playoff run since they were the top seed. And starting this year, that will have been nine years ago. Players will listen to that. Players talk. Players know what's Think going on here in Denver. Is. And yes, Russell Wilson isn't the player he once was, but Russell Wilson has had, if not a Hall of Fame career, an estimable career. And again, behind the scenes, has he been a politician at times? Has he tried to maneuver and throw his weight around behind the scenes? Yes. Has that happened here? Not especially. Now, you could argue that, well, he got an office on the second floor. He must have demanded it. I don't know. Maybe he kind of sort of did, but they always could have said no. Right. And what was he going to do? Not play? Right. Uh, If they didn't give him a second floor office? They gave it to him. The impression I always had is that Wilson asked for things and the Broncos said, okay. I'm saying players know this, and even if we don't buy into everything that Russell Wilson represents, he's been a pro. And to be treated in the manner that he was – one week screamed at publicly and this was something that went on for 30 to 45 seconds mm-hmm. Peyton yelled at him turned then went back yelled at him again turned and over his shoulder yelled at him a third time over a period of about 30 to 45 seconds in Detroit and then after the next week's game he gets benched and told for Again, public consumption. I, I assume Peyton said the same thing in private. Hey, we're we're going with Stidham because we need a spark. What what he said publicly. Right. I've been, I'm guessing that's not more than guessing. I'm pretty educated guess. That's what he told Wilson. And players around the league don't say no, especially that. when Wilson comes out out of character and says, yeah. "Hey." They threatened me with a benching, not just within the last couple of weeks, two, two and a half months ago when we had just beaten Kansas City. And we were in the midst of a bye week. We were on our way to Buffalo to win that game. And I didn't know until very late prior to the Buffalo game that I was even going to play. And for more more reason to believe, Wilson, in that going into the bye week, that's the time, right? If That would be where you'd make the threat. Because we got well, the bye. we thought if he was playing the, badly and their record right. was bad, that that would be the time to replace right, because him. Because you would have the bye week to get, and that's in fact ready. what they did. Even having won two games in a row, one and five became three and five. And I understand we felt that it did three and five hardly put them in playoff contention. As it turned out, uh, it was kind of an element of fool's gold in it. I'll tell you, this year in the NFL, where there may be two really impressive teams, Baltimore and San Francisco, neither of whom the Broncos have played, where one and five becomes six and five, you win five in a row, that 
that's good in anybody's league. This feels league like a missed opportunity. Year. It absolutely does. And this it's was matter. a chance, and Peyton torpedoed that, mm-hmm. uh, both by what he did two and a half months ago, and he initiated it, make no mistake, right? and by what he did in benching Wilson, which Wilson knew all about, and at some point when the losing began, Wilson's thinking it's only a matter of time, especially when it gets reamed out on national TV. We'll find out. Of course, the Broncos will have to deal with that when it comes to free agency, finding folks who want to take the money, but also believe that they're with an organization they can trust. That'll be a challenge as well. The Colorado Avalanche get a win last night, closer than they wanted, but they do get another one. The question is, are they getting enough help from the right players? And no, the ones you're thinking, Nathan McKinnon, uh, you know, Larry Nachushkin, Kale McCarr, they're fine. We're not talking about them. We're talking about the rest of the abs. Does they need they need a little bit of help beyond that top line, but they are getting the wins. We'll talk about it, break it down for you on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. A lot of ice out there. No one-timer available. Kale inching. Miko back to Kale. The kid a one-timer. Score! Call over there on Altitude TV. You heard Mark Mosier. What you really heard that I think stood out was the thunk that hearing the puck hit the back of the the neck of the back. It was it was a and it makes a different sound when McKinnon. Yeah, that that wasn't even what came came off his stick. That thump was it hitting the back of the net. It had that much. There are two sounds in sports that over 44 years here in Denver that I can remember very distinctly, and we're, we're moving up on. 45 here in the next few months. Uh, Mark McGuire's batting practice sound when he was putting on <laughs> yeah. a show in 1998 and batting yep. practice. And other teams would come out and watch him take batting practice. Yep. And, you know, first couple of times up in batting practice, he'd, he'd lay down a bunt, the fans would boo and everything. And then he would begin the Mark McGuire show. And it, it, the price of admission was well within reason just to watch him in oh, batting practice. The fans, you get there, there, early there were a couple thousand fans three hours early to oh, watch absolutely. him take BP. And it was especially true at Coors Field. Mm-hmm. Watch some of the rocket shots And he people won. were waiting and out it the made a bleachers. different sound. And famously, the following year at the All-Star Game, it was the Ted Williams All-Star Game at Fenway Park, mm-hmm. when Williams comes out in a wheelchair and he's surrounded by all the young players and McGuire's in the innermost circle surrounding Williams. And Williams looks up at him and says, did you smell the smoke coming off the bat when you make contact? And whether he did or not, McGuire understood the circumstances and said, well, yes, of course. And Williams said, isn't that great? Isn't that a great (laughs) feeling to be able to do? Uh, Okay. So the sound off McGuire's bat made a different sound. 
And I was around some of those batting practice sessions, and I remember yeah. them well. Tiger Woods hitting a golf ball. Different sound. You could be 75 yards up the fairway. He's back on the tee. And you could tell just by the sound that Tiger Woods was teeing off. Because it made the, the, the contact, and it, I mean, the sheer distance, you had to wait for that, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But just the sound told you it was Tiger Woods. And the other sound that's distinctive to me is the hockey sound that you just heard when McKinnon on a one-timer gets all of it. It's a different sound. It is. Even than Ranton. Ranton's great on the one-timers, but it's 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 not the crack that you hear with that is a respect heavy to shot oh. that he drops. And and just so people understand, because heaviness and speed are not the same. Right. Are not the same. And McKinnon plays a heavy game. We talked about his physical strength mm-hmm. at some yeah. length yesterday. But his shots, it reminds me of a tennis player who hits the ball with pace. It's a heavy ball. It almost knocks the racket mm-hmm. out of your hand, whether you're volleying or returning a ground stroke. It's so heavy. A shot that's hit with speed is not necessarily heavy. It's just traveling fast. And you block it, and it's it's easy. It doesn't knock the racket out of your hand. With McKinnon, those heavy shots, they handcuff goaltenders. It, it, it's, it's, you're almost fearful of getting in the way because it's going to hurt. It's heavy. He's got everything behind it. It's not only fast. It is fast. It travels through the air rapidly, but it's heavy. And it's a different sound that he makes. And there is no doubt, no doubt, and I know the Edmonton Oilers are on a roll right now. And of all the teams in the NHL, the athletic model for winning the Stanley Cup still favors, as it did at the start of the season, the Edmonton Oilers with an 11% chance to win the Stanley Cup. No one, and I mean no one, has an 11% chance to win the Stanley Cup other than Edmonton. McDavid's great. But for this year, certainly up to this point, Nathan McKinnon, far and away, has been the best player in the world. Nathan McKinnon would be 20th in the league in scoring right now if you didn't count any of his goals. Any of his goals. I mean, that's what you're talking about. 41 assists leads the NHL in 31 games, 61 points, only two behind Nikita Kucherov. The difference is Nikita Kucherov is a minus player on the year. McKinnon is a plus eight. McKinnon also takes face-offs, which Kucherov doesn't do. Uh, he is sort of a, right now playing as a man possessed, uh, and it's been obviously terrific for the Avs, who will next have a, a really big game on Thursday when they will take on the Dallas Stars, uh, who have a, a little bit in hand in the same division. So that's, that's a huge game. And they are getting a little bit. This is still a team that has been a bit top-heavy when it comes to scoring. And, and they got uh, even the Larry Nishushkin, who had two goals last night on the second line, but on the power play, on the top power play unit. Gets sure. Assist from oh, yeah. McKinnon and McCarr. Right. Uh, really only one true second line goal, and that would be Nishushkin's first. But it is the emergence of Jonathan Drouin that seems to be changing the way, at least right. the, the, the calculus on offense, because it is allowing Nachushkin, who has 
really stepped up. By the way, Nachushkin is now tied with Ranton and only one behind McKinnon in goals on the Avalanche yeah, with 19. 19. Yeah. And now with, with Drouin, who scored last night as well, looking a little bit like the guy that you saw a few years back, this experiment seems to be working for the Avs, and it's allowed Nachushkin to now reinforce the second line. I, I think it's huge for the Avalanche, especially in Lekkonen's absence, to have Drouin step up in this way and be able to play him on the top line and have him go plus one last night. Uh, again, uh, on the first line, uh, McKinnon, who played more, understood, uh, minus one. Ranton was at zero last night. Drouin was plus one. One goal, one assist, two points, plus one, 21 minutes, 38 seconds. Now, that that's actually more ice time than Nishushkin got. Mm-hmm. Bednar talked about it after the game, and he said the thing that coaches say when they really love the way a player is playing, say he's playing the right way, and I can use him in any situation. Those two statements are, are really important for fans to understand. Drouin is not just hanging on playing with McKinnon and Renton. Most he, of the year he, he has he's, not. He's, he's when he's playing with them now. Maybe at the beginning of the year when he played with them, yeah, you know, he's deferring and, uh, you know, he's benefiting from from their skill. But he's scoring goals on his own. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the driving force behind a lot of the goals he scores and a lot of the assists he makes, too. I mean, he's driving play. And whether you're one goal down or two goals down or three goals down, uh, the only thing he's not doing is killing penalties. He's right. on the first power play unit. Uh, he's played on the first line. He's played on the second line. But his ability to play with McKinnon and Rantman and not be simply carried by McKinnon and Rantman gives the Avs the luxury now moving Nishushkin down to the second line with Johansson and for the time being Wood. When Lekkonen comes back, you put Lekkonen with Johansson and Nishushkin and that was what they envisioned the second line right. to be at the beginning of the year. And then on the third line, Colton, who just got back in the lineup and hopefully will start playing a little better. And then you'd have O'Connor and you move Wood down to the third line when Lekkonen comes back. And that's the third line that began the season. And I thought it was pretty good yeah, I did too. early on. And you got three fast guys, three excellent skaters and Colton, Wood and O'Connor at that point, and you can live with a fourth line of Olafson, Cogliano, and for now, Kibi Ranta. Uh, they're not going to play more than eight to 10 minutes, maybe a little more in Cogliano's case because Cogliano kills penalties. Olafson basically doesn't kill penalties. Not, not only he's on the second unit of the penalty kill, but doesn't get a lot of ice time. And Kibi Ranta does not kill penalties. So, I, I, the distribution of minutes is really important to me. Uh, you know, you, it, what what is happening now is that four forwards are playing upwards of 20 minutes a game, and no one else is even close to 15 minutes right. among the other eight. In fact, forwards. if you look at the course of the season, uh, Drouin now sixth on six in the in the Avalanche in scoring with 18 points in the 36 games. But the five guys ahead of him, McKinnon, Ranton, and McCarr, Nachushkin, and Taves, all average more than 21 minutes on ice per game. 
Duran this season at 15. So you're, you're talking about a guy that is becoming not just sort of a curiosity, but kind of an important cog in the machine. And if that can continue when Lekkonen comes back, that'll make things interesting because if it is about a month, that will give them an opportunity to have about a month, hopefully, with good health in the team before the trade deadline on March 8th. That's a, a critical time for the Avs. Between the time they get Lekkonen back, whenever that is, he's in a non-contact jersey now. That's a good sign. And the time that they play, you have that long to decide. Well, maybe you what go you get a Lindholm. Maybe you go get a Lindholm if Johansson doesn't pick it up, and that's going to cost you. Doesn't pick and it up. it's going to cost and you. And it's going to cost you uh, a Byram or a Gerard. But I do it. But I, 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 I do it. You're in win now mode. You're in win now mode. You're not playing for three or four years from now. And it, here's something else to to think about: the Avalanche at this point are the third best team in terms of point percentage in the West. And there are only two teams in the East with better point percentages, the Rangers and Boston. And the teams in the West are Winnipeg and, and Vancouver. So it, it talking about top five team point percentage and a team that over the last 80 games in the regular season is now 55, 18, and 7. That's a 120-point pace. Now, they are not on a 120-point pace on the basis of the games no. they played this year. But considering that you're missing one of your top five forwards, mm-hmm. right? Clearly one of your top five forwards. By the time he gets back, and if he's right, then I think you basically can count on what you had at the end of last year, assuming reasonably good health. Uh, from the other guys. You have to worry about the heavy minutes a little bit, but when Lackanen comes back, that's another guy who can play 19, 20 minutes a game. Avalanche will have a big game tomorrow against the Dallas Stars. We'll have a chance to break that down and preview it for you tomorrow, but we turn our attention back to the Denver Broncos who, uh, look, the Broncos you see on Sunday, that's not going to be the Broncos that you're going to see next year. Lots of guys that we play in their last game. We'll take a look at what that might mean as the Broncos turn their roster over. That's right. Yet again, I'll tell you next on Miley Sports.